Hi, this is Crystal Cyrus from the OOTW podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 153, Fletch Movie Review. I'm Chris McBride, along with Derek Myers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. You're going to find us on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM. That's Derek. And at C. McBrien, that's me. And PopGoesYourWorld.com is our website. you find all of our contact information there. Derek, what's new in the world of pop culture for you, my friend? Hey, Chris. Hi. Uh, well, I haven't really had a chance to consume a lot of new stuff this week. Uh, my, my workload my day job has really ramped up so that's that's keeping me busy but you mean this isn't all that we do for a living well hey if only you know that'd be living the dream for (laughs) sure but uh i i figure since since we're a pop culture podcast we are absolutely obligated to talk at least a little bit about the television emmy awards that happened between the last show and this show did you have a chance to watch any of the broadcast Uh, i did not watch the broadcast but i'm aware of what happened Okay, that was my next question is, are you aware of the outcome? So, again, this isn't an Emmys podcast, so we don't have to dwell on it. But I, I just wanted to note that uh, two of the shows that, that I love that uh, I was hoping would win certainly did. So, uh, for the best limited series, The Watchmen, uh, based uh, partly on the original Alan Moore comic from the 1980s, but was upgraded for 2019. Uh, one for best show and um, Regina King and oh my God, I can't think of the other guy's name. Uh, they won for the the lead uh, lead actor, lead actress. Uh, Well-deserving. Watchmen, absolutely, in my opinion, the best show that was on TV last year. Uh, Succession won for drama, another fantastic ensemble. Uh, and again, the lead actor won for that as well. So I was very happy to see that. And then I think the biggest surprise of the night for everybody was in the comedy category, uh, a little Canadian show called Shit's Creek won everything. It won seven Emmys. Uh, it, it swept every category, and uh, including uh, all the acting awards. Yeah, it literally won actor, actress, supporting actor, supporting actress, best show, best director, and best writer. And four of those Emmys went to um, Eugene Levy's son. I believe his first name is Dan. Yes. If I remember correctly. And uh, he won four Emmys for so he won producer uh, like for best show for best uh, writing best directing and for best uh, uh, supporting actor performance. So it's like, I don't know if anyone's ever won four Emmys in one broadcast before for the same show, but it was, it was a a clean sweep. And I think a lot of people felt it was well-deserved. And I think a lot of people were like, I've never heard of this show. So uh, it's always nice when a little Canadian show that has been on the air for six seasons finally gets a little bit of recognition so uh, congratulations to all the people who won, uh, but a special congratulations to uh, the people that, that put together Schitt's Creek in, uh, in Canada to, uh, to have this little Canadian show go on to win the most prestigious television awards. So, and you, and yeah. you know what the most interesting thing about Schitt's Creek is, is that at the podcast around here, we have a censor, right? So we get beeped out from time to time if we say bad words. You can say Schitt's Creek, but you can't say <laughs> So you could say Schitt's Creek is awesome as <laughs> You see how that works? It's like, it's just amazing. So, yeah. So, yeah. But, so anyway, uh, and, and uh, you know, 
to extend on that idea of the good little Canadian shows, um, uh, one of the other Canadian shows that wasn't uh, recognized in the Emmys, but that is doing very well here in Canada, and we've talked about before, is Kim's Convenience. Uh, so if people are looking for something to watch and uh, you haven't already checked out Schitt's Creek, uh, might I suggest you take a look at Kim's Convenience. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. I don't know if I mentioned it to you, uh, but I recently discovered Kim's Convenience on um, on Netflix. That show is awesome. It is it fantastic. Is I absolutely love that show. Not just because it's Canadian. It's just so good. It's so original. The writing on it is top-notch, and the acting on it. It's just, oh, I love that show. It's so, yep. so, so Solid good. cast, starring oh. my my good friend, Paul Hyung sung Lee, yep. as uh, as Appa, as the uh, the patriarch of the family. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, and it's not it just it's not just a Canadian thing, like where Americans like, hey, do you know this person? You, you know, you actually. I literally know him. Yeah, yeah. Paul and I go way yeah, back. You, you yeah. and Paul are good friends, and you have been for years. Uh, a couple things I wanted to mention in pop culture. My things always tend to revolve around my my kids, but I mean, it's just the way it is. So my 11-year-old and I went up to the trailer and spent some time together, just the two of us. We wanted to spend a weekend together. And so I also took along a movie because we have a DVD player in there for at night. And we watched the 1980 film My Bodyguard. Have you ever seen that oh, movie, Derek? I, I have not, but you have, you've been telling me that it's on the list of things you want me to watch, and I've been like, I've never even heard of this movie. But. Oh, well, I will get you to watch it at some point. It's Like I say, it's from 1980. It's with Chris Makepeace, a Canadian actor. and from Adam Meatballs? Yes, the guy from Meatballs. That's exactly right. And he was in a show uh, on Dungeons & Dragons movie they made called Mazes & Monsters with Tom Hanks back in the 80s. Uh, okay. And then he just kind of stopped acting. But uh, he's in it and Adam Baldwin is in it and Martin Mull and, you know, a couple other people. Uh, but it's a, it's a great movie. And I wanted him to see it as an 11-year-old because it's about, <clears throat> now it's about high school. He's not quite there yet. But it's about what it's like to get to go to school and to be bullied. You know, and, and how you deal with bullies. So I thought it was important for him to see, and he really, really liked it. The other thing is with my other son, my seven-year-old, I finished reading Charlotte's Web to him just the other night. And I mentioned before how I was reading that book to him, and I was like, hey, I can see where this is going. You know, I was worried about where this book's going. Man, oh man, what an amazing book. Like, it, it took everything I had just to get through, the, especially the last sentence of the, the second last chapter like where she dies alone in a field. Yeah. And then uh, when Wilbur describes her in the very final sentence of the book, the author says, uh, the line is something I'm paraphrasing, but he says something like, not many people are a good writer or a good friend, but Charlotte was both. I don't know what it is about that book. I think it's because, like I mentioned before, like I lost my best friend at a, at a young age, so this, I don't just hit a little close to home for me. I don't know, but my, it was just something that was such a good book. And so anyway, I'm reading this to him and I'm, I'm really struggling to get through it. And my son is like, it's okay, daddy. It's just a spider. <laughs> I'm like, apparently my son has no soul. I don't know. <laughs> like, I'm, like, I'm like, no, it's not just a spider. It's his best friend. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, it's just a spider. <laughs> Oh, anyway, it's so funny. Now, let me ask you, has, yeah. has your son seen the Charlotte's Web cartoon? So funny enough. Before, we, before reading the book no, or after reading No. The book? So funny enough that you mentioned it. So we got down the book. So, so then I, I mentioned to him, I said, there's two versions of this film. There's a live action one that they did a couple years ago. And there is an animated film from the 70s. And so he said, I want to watch the animated one. So we put it on yeah, and call. He, he lost interest in it almost 15 minutes in. Now, he has autism, so he has, he struggles with his attention span at times. Sure. But also the fact, I think, that it was a musical, which kind of threw me off, too. So oh, I, I don't remember that. Yeah, there's a lot of musical numbers in it. So I think he was like, this isn't what I'm expecting. So, you know, 
Wow. Anyway, so the the you know reading that book proves you know that I'm a sappy old guy, but I'm I'm also a lame old guy. So here's your dad joke of the week, Derek. What did the dad do when he caught his son chewing on an electrical cord? Um, I don't know. He had to ground him. Oh, my God. I was going to say he was shocked to see him doing such a crazy thing, but ground him. That's much better. That's, that's, that's a good one, too. I like that. I was the only man left on the planet after the Holocaust, eh? Because yeah. you're probably drunk. That's why I just spent all my time looking for beer. Save me one of those beers. No way, eh? Experience and maturity. I got to yeah. take a leak so bad like I can taste it. I don't know how they got him to do it. You drive. There's a lot of cops around. It was a different time. No, no, I've had, I've had enough beer. Some of the things from the early 80s, it's, it's hard to relate to them now. Oh, come on. That's some funny <laughs> right there. <laughs> Okay, so this week it was over to me. Uh, my, my opportunity to pick a movie. So, of course, I nominated a Gen X film. You know, of course, that's what I do. Went back to 1985, and I decided I would put Fletch, you know, on the uh, on the table for this week. I guess before I get into I have some general thoughts about this, and I have lots to get into with this movie. So before I get into it, Eddie thought he was funny because when I mentioned this last week, I said, I want to watch Fletch. And you were like, yes, I just watched it recently. You know, this is great. I'm all excited about this. So I'm just going to assume that, you know, you enjoyed, I think everybody, most people I know enjoyed it back in the 80s. Um, you watched it recently. You know, I, you probably met, knowing you, you probably went back and watched it again for this show. Um, what, what are your thoughts on watching Fletch after, you know, 35 years? Sure. So, uh, as, as you had, as you just said, and as I mentioned last, last show, I actually just watched Fletch like less than two months ago. So I felt it was pretty fresh and I was going to try and watch it again this week if I had time. Uh, unfortunately I didn't. And unfortunately I had a hard time trying to track down a copy, although I did see I could rent it off of YouTube, but I, I didn't get around to doing it. But YouTube is always your friend when it comes to these kinds of things, because they had, I think it was the 10 best clips from Fletch. So oh, I went nice. back and nice. watched. They were like three or four minute clips. So I, I ended up watching like probably 20 or 30 minutes worth of the movie sort of as the quote unquote best of Fletch. So that that was enough for me to certainly jog my memory. Uh, but like I said, I just watched it not too long ago. So that, that wasn't really a big issue for me. So uh, I may be foggy on some of the very finer points. But I'm usually I'm usually pretty good about retaining the details. So in, in general, back to your original question. When this came out in 85... I would have been uh, 11. I don't believe I saw this in the theater. In fact, I'm positive I did not see this in the theater. I would have still been a little bit too young. I definitely saw it for the first time on home video, probably only a few years after that. Like I'm thinking maybe 88, 89-ish. So it's probably around 13. Um, and I remember when I was younger, I was not a big fan of Chevy Chase. I didn't oh, really? find his style of comedy funny like he, he very much rely like from his whole Saturday Night Live he used to always fall down and do silly things a lot of slapstick make faces like people would be talking and he'd be behind them making faces and stuff I don't know I just I never found that shtick really worked for me um, and so I was never a big fan of him as a performer and as a result with something like Fletch where he's the star it, it didn't I never really found that I, I enjoyed it that much so when I had a chance to watch it again just a couple of months back, it had been so long since I saw it because I probably hadn't seen it since the late 80s or early 90s mm -hmm. because I had this sort of negative memory of it. 
I never made a point of going back to watch it again because I thought, oh, I remember that movie. I didn't like it. Why waste my time again? But as we've discussed, uh, we used, you know, earlier when the when COVID started, we got a lot of the movie channels for free, and it was one of the ones on there. And so I recorded it. So I thought I'll give it a chance. It's on TV. It cost me nothing except my time, and I actually enjoyed it a lot more when I watched it again recently. I think partly because my my, you know, my sense of of humor has matured, if you will. I can appreciate Chevy Chase and his performance a little more. I think I, I got a lot of the adult humor that I may have missed as a younger person. Um, so I certainly enjoyed it a lot more this time than I did the first time around when I was younger, but at the same time, uh, you know, I wouldn't say that Chevy Chase is my favorite, but he is certainly, I, I hold him in higher regard now than I did back then. Um, and so I was glad for the opportunity to rewatch it. I was glad you, you've nominated it for us to discuss today. Uh, there were certainly a lot of things I, I very much liked about it, largely because it was sort of an 80s movie. But there were definitely some things that I felt, you know, I didn't care for. Some of some of the thoughts were things that I maybe didn't care for originally that I still don't care for. And maybe some just because of some of the stuff that doesn't hold up as much. So we'll dive into it. and We can talk about it more. So I'd like to talk about just some general thoughts. I have about the movie just in general before we get into scene by scene because we always break down the movie. So I will be honest. I was a little bit worried going into this movie that it just would not hold up very good. And then when the movie opens up, there's the opening theme music and it's really dated. It really sounds 80s. got that funky guitar riff in it and stuff. And like it's some really serious 80s stuff. And then it's followed up by some really serious 80s synth music, you know, as the movie starts. But you know what? I thought this movie held up really really well and I was really surprised because like I said I haven't seen it in a long time it's been 30 years since I've seen it as most of the movies are you know we do on the podcast I haven't seen them in a long time uh, so I was a little bit you know I was worried I didn't think it would hold up but one of the reasons that I think it does hold up so well is that this is a very unique movie it's it's very unique for a lot of reasons first of all it has it has a little bit of everything in it. It's got mystery, and it's got humor and intrigue and romance and action. It's it's all in this movie. Another thing I really like about it, and I know you mentioned you didn't really like Chevy Chase, at least back in the day. He's one of the things I really liked about this movie. So for any millennials that listen to the podcast that have never seen this movie, or maybe their only exposure to Chevy Chase is he's in Community or that awful hot tub time machine crap that you had me watch. Um, it, it, it might be hard to imagine for some people, but Chevy Chase, like his career has been up and down and I'm sure we'll touch base on that, but he was on his game here and he was one of the most charismatic movie stars of the late seventies, early eighties. The thing is, I think almost unfortunately, he had a real mixed bag of movies, you know, even around that time. Cause on the good side, you had things like Caddyshack. And the first vacation movie, Spies Like Us, I thought was awesome. This one, Fletch, obviously. And although I thought Foul Play and Neil Simon Seems Like Old Times were both really, really good too. But he made a lot of crap around this time too. There's Oh Heavenly Dog and Modern Problems and Under the Rainbow, Deal of the Century. And then he just kind of dropped off the map. But for me, his good movies were really, really good. And the thing is, is that Chevy Chase was... He was a big part of that time in history when Hollywood comedies were dominated by the improv movement that was coming out of Second City and, and National Lampoon and, and, and you know Saturday Night Live. And for me, he's the reason why this movie is so good. 
And, and, and funny enough, though, it's probably not really for the reasons that you might think, because I think normally, you know, a lead actor in a comedy tends to be a bit over the top, especially back in the 70s and 80s. You know, and, and even if you think about what he was like in Vacation, you know, Clark Griswold was a doofus, right? It was kind of over the top. But in Fletch, and, and I've never really picked up on it until going back and watching it now, is what he does with this part is actually kind of incredible what he does. Because instead of the craziness of the movie or of all the comedy like sort of centering around him and his character, there's insanity going on, but it's happening all around him. And all he does is just react to it. And I think one of the best things about the movie is his performance is is how he reacts to everything that's going on. Instead of being over the top, he underplays the scenes. Now, now it, it can come off as maybe a bit aloof, you know, or maybe even detached from the material, like from as an from an acting point of view. But I think for me, it's integral to how this movie works. Does any of that make any sense? Uh, yeah, so let me let me sort of piggyback on a little bit of that <clears throat> stuff. So um, let's start at the beginning. So the music, I actually found the music uh, was really good. Like for me, I, that did it for me. I was ha- like, it reminded me of a slightly lesser Beverly Hills Cop, which had come out, yes. I think, only one or two years before this. Yeah, it came well, out the like, same year. Yeah, so when you watch Beverly Hills Cop, which is fantastic, and hey, we should totally do that on a future pod. Oh, we will. Um, the music is is pivotal. The movie wouldn't work without that without that '80s synth score, and so I felt that this almost was like, "Hey, that worked. Let's do that again." And so I was at first a little worried that I'm like, "Oh, are they sort of leaning on this as a crutch?" But I actually thought it worked. I thought it was, although in a similar style, because it's obviously from a similar time. Uh, it was different enough, and it's it was memorable enough. Like it it had its own legit theme and uh that worked for me a lot i I actually enjoyed the musical score uh i mean it certainly dates the movie but there are tons of other things that date this movie and it doesn't date it in a bad way like one of the one of the worst examples i think i brought this up on a previous show is the movie lady hawk with matthew broderick and rutger hauer and um um uh, michelle pfeiffer michelle pfeiffer yeah it as a fantasy story is creative and interesting but it's got an like an 80s synth score and it just kills the movie. It'd be like imagine like if Star Wars ha- which came out in the 70s was was all disco music. Yeah, right. <laughs> like you couldn't watch that today and take no. it seriously because right. the music would just kill it for you. Whereas with this, I found the music was appropriate for the time frame in which the movie is set. And so to me, it didn't feel like it was dated it, it, it was dated because it came out in the 80s. It wasn't dated because it was 80s. If that makes sense. So that that was sort of my thoughts on that. The other one uh, you talked about uh, why you thought it was uh, one of the reasons you thought it was a good movie is a little bit everything. And yeah, that's one of the reasons I think it worked for me, too, is at its heart, it's basically like he's an investigative reporter. So it's a mystery. It's a detective story. As a Batman fan, nothing appeals to me more than a good mystery story, a good detective story. Not that I'm comparing Chevy Chase to Batman, but just the idea of this sort of the who done it the the what's really going on the the character only has certain pieces of the puzzle and through the course of the story as they learn more information we as the audience get that information and we can all together um and and that kind of a story to me uh usually if it's done well can work really well and uh and so that was one of the things i enjoyed about watching because i didn't really remember the the 
intricacies of the story, just sort of the very, very broad strokes, it worked for me. By the end, I sort of remembered where it was going, but it was an interesting journey to take along the way and see how the characters got from point A to point B to point C to point D and then and, and the movie. The um, in, in my opinion, again, not a huge fan of Chevy Chase, but I got in my opinion, this was his best movie. This was his best work. Yeah, he, I think it so. Was, he was the star. Like, this was the starring vehicle. Yes, he's in um, Caddyshack. And yes, he's in Spies Like Us. Um, and, and But it's like in, in those other movies, he has a lot of other uh, people with him. I mean, Spies Like Us, it's Dan Aykroyd. Uh, so it's more of a twosome. But like Caddyshack is a huge ensemble of, of performers. Whereas this, this is the Chevy Chase spotlight. This is like, okay, bud, you've proven that, that you're a big star. You've proven you can carry a movie with other support. You are now the A person on the, you're the number one name above the, the, above the, the headline, above the title on the poster go. And he's, he's in every scene too. Like he is in literally in every single scene. Well, and I mean, that's the advantage of telling, of having a story where it's sort of told from his point of view is we, as the audience don't know anything that he doesn't know. So we're not seeing any scenes where he's not in it. And that was the design of the narrative. And I mean, this is based on a, a series of books. So I got to assume the book is written in the same way where we only know what the character knows. Um, but uh, like you said, his career has sort of had ups and downs. This being certainly one of the very high points. He was, you know, he, he was climbing this this mountain of success with this possibly even being the peak in the 80s. Um but from what yeah, I, this I was. heard, I would say this was. Yeah, this was as, as, I mean, I, I've heard stuff about this movie and about Caddyshack and some of the other things. And what I kept hearing, true or not, was that Chevy Chase was often very difficult to work with, and and that that essentially was a big part of why his career sort of had some lulls after so much success. And I got to think, like so many other people, you get a little bit of success, it goes to your head, you read your own press, and it's great, and you think I am that great, and suddenly you know you you hold yourself above other people. Now, he is a great performer and certainly is great. So, I mean, I can sort of understand where that might have been the case and might have been a problem. But again, who knows if these stories are true or not? Yeah, I don't I don't know if he was really difficult to work with. I think it was more that there was a lot of substance abuse going on around this oh, time yeah, for, uh, for sure. him. And I mean, a lot of that stemmed. I mean, it started back when he was on SNL. I mean, because of oh, the pratfalls and stuff like that, um, you know, he got hurt you know, more than once doing those pratfalls at the opening of the show and ended up getting addicted to painkillers. But I mean, that led to other things in the 80s. So his, you're right, his career has been up and down and up and down like crazy. Yeah. And I mean, they ended up doing a sequel to this movie. So it obviously, and again, I'm sure we'll talk about the specifics down the road, but I mean, the movie obviously did well enough, made enough money, was received well enough, had enough critical success that they felt there was uh, uh, enough there to do a sequel. I mean, like I said, it's based on a series of books so you certainly had um, source material to draw from. It wasn't like, we don't know what to do next. Read the next novel. Okay, great. Let's turn this into a movie. Um, so who knows? We'll uh, we'll see where we go with this. Yeah, so. and, he, and he definitely did peak in 85 because he had three movies out that year. You know, he had uh, this movie, Fletch, obviously, which was number ninth, you know, at the box office because it made over $50 million. Uh, number 11 was National Lampoon's European Vacation. You know, and number 20 was Spies Like Us. Now, the only reason Spies Like Us wasn't higher was because it came out in, on December the 6th of that year. So it only had like three weeks to make some money. It ended up doubling its take, you know, into 86. But I yeah. mean, this was definitely his peak. One other thing about Chevy Chase, now that we're on him, when it comes to making this movie, and again, it doesn't speak to the fact that he was difficult to work with. But I mean, one of the things, he's an improv guy. 
You know, he uh, come, yeah, I was just gonna say he that, comes yeah. out of that National Lampoon, out of SNL. You know, he was he was the first breakout star of SNL. He left after the first season. He left four episodes or four weeks or whatever it was into the second season of SNL. You know, he left the show right to go and make movies with Goldie Hawn. Right, so yeah. he was the first breakout star. Now, but, I sorry, let me jump in for a sec. Mm-hmm. One of the things I had heard, true or false, about part of the reason he was the quote unquote breakout star was because he was on Weekend Update and he said his name. Like I'm Chevy Chase and you're not. Mm-hmm. It put his name in the consciousness of the of the TV public. And when you ask people after one season who's on Saturday Night Live, they could all say Chevy Chase because he used his own name on every show. And, and he opened uh, the show. And he opened the show every week. Every week, yeah. the cold opening was him. Other than the very the first episode where they did the Wolverine sketch, he was the, the opening show. He was the opening of the of the show. He was always he'd start it off. He'd do a pratfall and say live from New York at Saturday night. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and, and he was a good looking guy. You know he yeah. was a, he was a he was a really handsome guy, right? He had that movie star good luck, but but my point was like he he was such an improv guy. He was came out of that improv movement that when he goes to make this movie, he wanted to improv a lot of the scenes. And 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 God bless the director like Michael Ritchie because what he did was was the director said, okay, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna shoot a scene. We're gonna shoot it once the way it's written in the script. Let's just shoot it that way, and then let's shoot another. Let's shoot it again your way and just improv. And it was quite ingenious way to direct the film because it gave the director what he needed, you know, for the scenes, you know, as they were written, but then allowed him to intercut a lot of the improvisation that happened. And a lot of the improv ended up making it into the film. And it was almost an intercut between the two and in every scene. So Chevy Chase, you know, got kind of what he wanted. The director got what he wanted. It was kind of a neat thing. Um, but, But in addition to Chevy Chase... Another thing that I really liked about this movie was actually the supporting cast. Like, wow, every supporting character in this movie is really, really strong. And the thing is, when you've got a guy like Chevy Chase at the center of a film, you need a really, really strong supporting cast, especially with a script like this. And I felt that they really delivered. You know, it's partially a testament to the actors, but partially a testament to the director too, you know. Now... Michael Ritchie, the director, he also, he didn't do much else. I mean, he did The Candidate, The Bad News Bears, the one from the 70s, and The Island, one of Peter Benchley's other movies. It wasn't a very good one. But uh, but the supporting cast I thought was amazing. I just want to just run down them for a second. So Richard Libertini, I was always a big fan of him. He was a big improv guy out of Chicago. I and recognize him. He's, he's one of those like, uh, that guy. It's like, oh, I recognize yes. that guy, but I couldn't tell you what his name was. Um, he was, I really liked him in Sharky's Machine. It was a Burt Reynolds movie. Burt and Reynolds, never at, saw it. Oh, it's really, really good. It's really dated. Um, I actually went back and watched it a couple of years ago. It's really dated, but God, it was good. Good cop movie. And he did a movie, you talk about Canadians. He did a movie with um, with Eugene Levy called Going Berserk. It was Eugene Levy and John Candy and uh, Joe Flaherty. And uh, he died in 2016, I think it was. Richard Libertine, I liked him. But he was, he was really solid in this. George Weiner, who was also in Spaceballs. Remember he was oh, the, yeah 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 he was the guy he's my in the cousin, apartment sir yeah yeah he was in spaceballs he was like he's an <laughs> sir that's his name <laughs> major <laughs> um, and George went you know Norm from Cheers obviously but the thing was he didn't do a lot of movie roles he was in my bodyguard no, that I just yeah. mentioned he had a really small part in my bodyguard and Gung Ho but that was pretty much about it. Well, I mean, he had a tremendous amount of success with Cheers. It's not exactly. like he was uh, looking for work, right? It's no. Like, well, I mean, he might be now if he was still performing, but yeah. Uh, I, so, and then of course we've got Tim Matheson, who is great. I, he he's been in lots of great 
things. I mean, he had been in Animal House before this. Um, and which, which funny up. enough, which funny enough was written for and was supposed to star Chevy Chase. Oh, that, I'd heard that. Yeah. yeah. That his, his part. And, um, and, 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 and at the point, at the time, Chevy Chase was that breakout star from SNL. So he was like, I'm not doing that movie. I'm not doing a little part in an ensemble because I want to be the lead actor in a movie, right? So went yeah. to Tim Matheson. And and funny enough, Tim Matheson was pretty good at playing the bad guy here. You know, yeah. but but before that, he was known for playing that smart aleck type, just like Fletch. Like, if you think of his roles in Animal House, and I remember there was a movie he was in called Up the Creek. Same thing. He was a smart alecky kind of guy. So, yeah, I thought he was good. William Sanderson. I, I always remember him from uh, the West Wing. He played the vice yes, president. That's right. That, that was when, you know, I mean, I knew him from Animal House, but I hadn't seen a lot of his other stuff. And then, uh, yeah, when he was in the West Wing, I was like, oh, man, he's so good. Uh, Gina Davis was in a tiny it. little part. Like, obviously, one of her. This has to be one of her first second movies. movies. First movie was yeah. Tootsie. This was her second movie. But, you know, obviously she went on to do. Thelma and Louise and League of Their Own. She won an Academy Award for the actual she won an tourist, Oscar, yeah. you know. Um, William Sanderson, I was going to mention too. He was Swarthout, the realtor. Remember, he was in Blade Runner. He was Sebastian. Yes. And of yes. course, he was Larry on New Heart yeah. of Larry, Daryl, and Daryl. Yeah. Uh, M. Emmett Walsh that played the doctor. Even him. Remember, he was in The Jerk. Yeah. And he starts shooting at Steve Martin and Steve Martin. He, 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 he hates kids. <laughs> um, James Avery, kind of a blink and you'll miss him kind of role but he was the dad in the fresh prince of bel-air remember he was the one of the corrupt yeah. cops that, that brought uncle him in phil. no he was uncle phil in fresh prince better oh, oh, oh sorry yeah that's right that's right uncle phil um yeah. and then the, the last one i, I want to mention is dana wheeler nicholson because she didn't really do anything else other than this movie probably because she wasn't a very good actress i don't think um she was a, she a complete unknown at the time i mean a lot of other well-known actresses came in and read for this role uh, but she got the part of Gail Stanwyck because her reading was just so strong in the audition. But she's not a very good actress. I didn't. I think it shows here too. But but overall, that well, hang on. So she, I'm looking at her thing here. She's still still working to to, to this day. Oh, she she's has working actress. Reacting credits. Yeah, yeah, she's working. I mean, it looks like she was on the Friday Night Lights television series, like twenty or thirty episodes worth, and then on the Nashville television series for you know ten or fifteen episodes. So I mean, she's she's obviously working. It, like she's a working actress, but yeah, to your point, I mean, she was very pretty in this movie, but I didn't think her performance was outstanding. No, no. Um, but, but you know, I, like this was a really strong supporting cast. So it was just, wow. You know, I wanted to mention that, but anyway, so let, let's get into the movie a little bit. We'd like to break things down scene by scene. So as I mentioned, the opening credits come as it's a real kind of 80s song. And the thing that's really struck me about it was in today's world of these you know, these elaborate opening credit sequences. This is just some white credits against a plain black screen. It's just yeah. another example of that difference between the Gen X and then the millennial movies, you know? Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, so it opens up Fletch is hanging out at the beach because he's an undercover reporter. And we know that because he's doing a voiceover. So I should mention too, another reason I mentioned earlier why I, I think this movie is really unique. Another reason I think it's unique is it's kind of a throwback to the film noir of the 40s. You know, where you've got like an investigator trying to piece together a mystery. And those movies always had a voiceover in them as well to explain everything that's going on. And we see that here. But, you know, the difference is this one has humor in it. But again, the thing that makes it so unique is this is not a parody. It's it's more of like almost a comedy drama. Yeah. 
you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's not really the first time we've seen this sort of thing from Chevy Chase, because if you think of his first movie when he did Foul Play, it was like that too. It was kind of a drama and a mystery and an action, you know, and a little bit of humor in it. I don't know. know, I've never seen it. Oh, it's really good. Uh, but anyway, so Fletch is obviously investigating the, the drug traffic on the beach for this big story he's writing for the newspaper. And that's when we meet, uh, you know, some of the characters on the beach, like Fat Sam and, and Gummy and, and Creasy. And I just want to mention that I was mentioned the supporting cast. I like the guy that plays Crease. Like mm-hmm. at, at one point, Fletch says to him, he, he asks how old he is. And Crease says, I'm 19. Fletch is like, you're not taking very good care of yourself. <laughs> I just thought that line was so funny because the, the, I like that guy that played Crease. His name was Ralph Seymour. I, I don't know if it, he was in a, a really short-lived TV show called Making It back in 1979. So they basically created this TV show based on David Naughton's one-hit wonder song, Making It. It lasted like nine episodes. He was also in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. You've seen that, haven't you? Yeah, I was going to say, before Pee-wee's Adventure, I didn't understand any of that stuff you said before. I didn't know the song. I didn't know the show. I didn't You've know the guy. I'm like, wow, you are really dating yourself here, bud. Like oh, That no. is all like old man stuff. Oh, man, you got to go back and, and listen to uh, our one-hit wonder show that I did with Yancey. If you heard the song Making It, you'd know it. It was in Meatballs, too. But uh, anyway, he was in Pee-wee's Big Adventure because he was the guy that Francis hired to steal Pee-wee's bike. Steal the bike? Remember, he was like a bucks ton, that guy. Um, yeah, yeah. But oh, anyway, yeah, yeah, okay. so, so, so Tim Matheson is on the beach. He's spying on Fletch, right? And then he offers the money to come and, and hear a, a proposition, which of course just leads to a bunch of wisecracks from Chevy Chase. This whole movie is basically an excuse for Chevy Chase to make wisecracks, you know? And it got, yeah. me, it got me thinking, the sort of wisecracking, it used to be a thing back in the comedies of the 70s and 80s. And it doesn't really exist anymore. You know, there was... I think, what, are, what are you talking about? Have you not seen Ryan Reynolds' film career? That's his shtick. Yeah, I guess like when he did that uh, Van Wilder and stuff, I was thinking more like Chandler on Friends. Was yeah, the last yeah. one that I kind of think of. You know, I, I keep in mind, I don't watch all the new stuff anymore. So, you know, you could fill me in on more of that kind of stuff. But it just seems to me that that wisecracking guy was a big thing back in the 70s and the 80s. And it just kind of died off, that character. Mm. One thing I wanted to mention, though, about Chevy Chase, when, when he's posing as the druggie on the beach, for a guy that spends basically the whole movie changing into a thousand different personas, you know, he's basically a chameleon, right? Yeah. He doesn't really play a very realistic druggie at the beach. He's clean shaven. He's good looking. His clothes, like, aren't all in tatters. I don't know. It just, it seemed to me that for a guy that assumes all these characters sort of seamlessly throughout the movie... He didn't really play a very believable homeless drug addict. Yeah, when he was later in the movie where he's on the beach where he's the got the beard and the roller skates, that to me was a better disguise. Yes. Better yeah. persona of someone who is, you know, a drug abuser who, who doesn't take care of himself, who doesn't have two cents to rub together. But yeah. No, that's a good point. That's what he should have done. So uh, anyway, so Tim Matheson's character offers him money to kill him. $50,000. Mm-hmm. I know the film's dated, but... $50,000 doesn't seem like a lot of money you know, to kill somebody. I, although I guess if you're a druggie on the beach. Well, I think that's the whole point, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, he's trying to find someone who is anonymous, who who has has nothing to lose. Like, right? Like that's the whole idea is that this person has nothing to lose. Offer him enough that he'll do it. I mean, we learn more about the nuance of this offer much later in the movie. But on its face, given what um, 
uh, Alan Stanwyck uh, thinks he knows about this this person, it seems like a very reasonable offer. And I think when we did the Remo Williams movie review, I think you said there was a scene where the guy paid the construction worker something like 50 bucks to kill Remo on the yeah. Statue of Liberty. So yeah. Maybe just inflation's really taken a toll since the 80s. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> something like, but anyway, one thing I, I did notice was when they go to the newsroom, finally, we see computers. There were like oh, wow. computers on the desk. I was like, oh my God, because every Gen X movie we've watched so far, I always make a note on that there's no computers. But this they look more like Commodore 64s or something, but at least there was computers on the desk. I thought that was neat. Um, so he's an investigative reporter. He decides he's going to check out Stanwick, right? See if this story holds up. It seems a little fishy, right? So he goes to see Stanwick's doctor and he poses as the patient to see if he can get any info out of the, out of the doctor. And that whole scene where the doctor's giving him the physical, like M. Emmett Walsh, who plays a doctor, he like I say, he was in Blade Runner. He was Bryant in Blade Runner. Too, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so when they're, they're they go to shoot this scene when they're making the movie, the director Michael Ritchie is basically looking around this doctor's office at all the equipment, and he just says to Walsh, "Well, use this." You know, he hands him a stethoscope. You know, use this the the, the blood blood pressure cuff or whatever. And, and the the problem with with doing this is like it takes. A long time in medical school to learn how to use these kind of things properly and Walsh just basically gets handed them and says hey do this scene with this and so he kind of had to kind of make it up right on the spot so you know needless to say a lot of improv you know was was, was going on not just in the scene but in the movie um you know like we mentioned Chevy Chase come he came out of SNL and National Lampoon and you know he was in Lemmings so you know he was a big part of that whole improv comedy movement you know that basically shaped the face of comedy in, in Hollywood in the 70s and 80s. Um, so I think it's natural to kind of just give him a lot of the credit for the improvisational nature of the film, but I don't think you could dismiss the improbability that, you know, would be on the supporting cast, just to go back to them too. Probably a testament to the director too, but it just, I don't know, the whole thing just seems to work. So one of the things uh, in preparation for our podcast, mm-hmm. I did, you know, I always like to read like the movie trivia and I look up some of the reviews and things like that. Sure. Um, so this this sort of leans into what you were just talking about. The character Chevy Chase plays, it, he goes undercover. He, obviously, he's an investigative journalist, so he's undercover. He puts on costumes. He's sort of like this chameleon where he's pretending to be people in order to get information. And it certainly works in the context of the movie. Uh, given what we know about Chevy Chase, the actor, we assume that the character of Fletch has some of these similar skills. Um, but one of the criticisms that was presented when the movie first came out in a lot of the reviews was that this movie felt less like a cohesive start to end of film as much as it was almost like an excuse for Chevy Chase to be different characters. It was like, how do we take what he did on Saturday Night Live, which was this sketch comedy show where he got to play different characters every five minutes and throw it up on the big screen, but try and weave a narrative around it. And so successful or not, maybe, you know, each person can make that decision for themselves, but it it very much feels that way. And once I read the review, I was like, oh, you know what? That that's a pretty accurate way to look at this movie. Um, But I mean, if you're a big fan of his work and you, you think that he's he's talented at it, at which he obviously is, um, you know, some scenes work better than others. And like you said earlier, they allowed Chevy Chase to be improvisational. And some cases, I think some of the scenes we got were absolutely 
all Chevy. And I think in some of the scenes where he's a little more toned down and there are certain key plot elements that need to happen, you can, it seems a little more scripted, but you know, for better, for worse, it almost feels like Fletch is just an opportunity for Chevy Chase to say, look at me, I know how to do sketch comedy. And we're like, yeah, we know. So So I'm going to disagree with some of those reviews that you mentioned because okay that that type of you know uh, argument might work for a lot of the you know actors that were on Saturday Night Live um, whether when they first started or right throughout history but the thing is is that Chevy Chase didn't play a lot of characters on SNL that's the thing he just played himself even when he played Gerald Ford he just looked like himself he didn't put on any makeup he didn't change his voice in any way shape or form he just you know, played Gerald Ford just to fall down, right? So it's not like he was playing all these different characters like as a chameleon with different costumes and makeup and then he continued that in this movie. If anything, this movie was different than what he was doing on SNL, I thought. But uh, anyway, um, so moving on from in that scene when he uh, when he's with the doctor, he, he poses as a doctor himself and he tries yes. to get into the records room because <laughs> he wants to see if Stan looks really dying of cancer right and I listen to him he looks at the list of doctors that's on the wall and it's like Rosen Rosenfield Rosenbloom and and, and the girl asks him his name and he's like oh, I'm Dr. Rosenpenis Dr. Rosen Rosen Dr. Rosen Rosen yeah <laughs> I don't know it just struck me as funny and then he runs he runs into the but doc. again that to me that to me just reminded me of the Saturday Night Live sketch with the shark you know who's there UNICEF who are you collecting for? And again, like, you know, it's sort yeah. of lean to me. It was sort of a leaning on something a bit we've already seen where he just fumbles over names to try and confuse you or get what he wants. I'm not saying it didn't work. I'm just, yeah, you know, yeah. I think, no, it I makes think sense. some of, some of the things he, 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 you know, leans into the, the skills he knows he has. He, he pulls from the bag of tricks. In some cases we've already seen some of those tricks, but Hey, they still work. Yeah, I mean, some of it lands, some of it doesn't. One of the things that I thought really landed was when he bumps into the guy that's doing the autopsy. And, and the, guy, the guy that's playing the doctor, he's like, you never get used to the smell. <laughs> Just, I don't know. And then he's like... And then he takes a big whiff. Yeah. And then he's like, you ever seen a spleen that large? He's like, not since breakfast. And then he faints. And then then I thought it was funny. Like, again, it's just one, it's just one liners coming out because the nurse, she revives him. And she's like really surprised that he fainted because he's a doctor, right? You're supposed to be. And he he says, I thought that was my brother on the table in there. That that, that spleen was a split, it was a spitting image, you know? Yeah. So anyway, he gets the file on Stanwick and finds out that he's just been lying. He doesn't really have cancer. And then in a series of what are maybe some of the best scenes in the movie, he goes to the country club and the the guy that plays Mr. Underhill, he's just a total jerk, right? Like he's totally ripping into this waiter. He's like, I'm not finished with that. And he takes a little bite. Okay, now I'm finished. You know, I bet you expected a tip. Maybe next time. Like he's just a total jerk. He's like basically a parody of the worst customer you ever had as a waiter, which is perfect because it sets you up to hate him. And then what Fletch ends up doing to him is justified, you know, at least by the audience, right? Because the guy's a jerk. And then I love the waiter comes over to Fletch and asks him if he wants anything. And then Fletch says he's a guest of that guy, Mr. Underhill, the jerk. And the, and the waiter's, oh, I'll just put it on his account. Well, I'll have a Bloody Mary and a steak sandwich and a steak sandwich, please. He just orders two steak sandwiches. It's yeah. Like, it's like free lunch. Right? I thought that was Yeah, funny. and is he like, I ordered the caviar and he's like, oh, it's very expensive, sir. Oh, well, then I'll only have two portions. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then I like when he has the dream that he's playing for the Lakers and it's yeah. like, it's like 6'5 with the Afro, 6'9. And, and then one of the things that made me laugh 
with the post because it's kind of dated because it's it's kind of 80s. You know, he gets on the flight to Utah because he wants to go and look into Stanwick some more, right? Because Stanwick has like business interest there and family and stuff. So he's, he's on the plane. And then, I don't know why, it just made me laugh because I'm like, this is so 80s, this is so inappropriate. He pulls out the mini tape recorder and he pushes play instead of record because he was going to record, he was going to record something. And he pushes play and you hear there's a woman, a woman's on the tape and she's breathing heavy. And then she's, you're not recording this, are you? He's like, no, no, never. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my God. Like, just, that, was, that was one of those things that like viewed through today's lens oh no yeah you'd never because, get you know, it if this was today oh no. it would be a video which you know you're not gonna you can't video someone without their consent like that's that's criminal i know the fact that your hero has done this and it's played for laughs i know certainly a sign for the time it just it just it was just like such an uncomfortable laugh you know when i was like oh my god i couldn't believe it but uh then like i say he gets he gets pulled in by um Two cops, James Avery, you know, Uncle Phil, as you mentioned, is one of them. And and he says, he says to Fletch, you're, you're going to really like Chief Carlin. And Fletch goes, yeah, I, I heard he mellowed out since he came out of the closet. And again, it just, it just struck me. I'm like, you know, back in 1985, being gay was still considered something you just make jokes about. Yeah. You know, we keep seeing that as we go back and watch these, these Gen X movies. It's a consistent theme throughout. Yeah, and uh, I mean that the the idea of um, leaning on homosexuality as humor, you you see that happening. Uh, well, I mean, you still even see it happening today, not nearly as much. But I'm thinking something like the forty year old virgin, which is only like what ten or maybe fifteen years old now. And there's that whole sequence where they're like, you know how I know you're gay, and the sequence is played for laughs. But you watch it now, and it's like, mm, yeah, no, shouldn't have been doing that, and uh, we shouldn't. You know, it's. Uh, Again, it's 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 of its time. It's not to excuse it, but it's just to acknowledge that when that happened, that was deemed acceptable. So, you know, this again, like I said, yep. for the most part, I think the movie uh, has a lot of positives, but there are certainly a few things that's that stand out as problematic. This being one of them is there's a number of spots in this movie where they they lean on this idea of, oh, you're gay or you're this guy's coming out or the one time he says, why don't you go down to the gym and pump each other? And it's mm-hmm. like. It's played for laughs. It's oh well, if he's gay, that's hilarious because it's insulting to him, and it's like, and it happens later on too when he's in the hotel and he's talking to uh, Gina Davis's character on the phone. Mm-hmm. Now her name's Larry, so he's like, "I love your body, Larry," and just the girl at the counter turns and looks at him. It's played for laughs again, that yeah. homosexual joke, you know, kind of thing. Um, the just going back to the scene when he's with the the chief because I, I want to mention this when he says. He pushes him up against the wall, and then there's a picture there of, of the chief with Tommy Lasorda. Tommy Lasorda, yeah. And he goes, is that you and Tommy Lasorda? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, I hate Tommy Lasorda. And he punches the glass. That scene always struck me as weird. It was kind of funny, I guess. But I'm like, like, you don't really know why he hates Tommy Lasorda. But it's actually a reference to a deleted scene that was in the movie. So remember the scene we mentioned where he's playing for the Lakers? They, yeah. they also shot a movie where he was, um, where he was playing uh, hockey for the Kings. Yeah. I was going to say on the poster, one of his, uh, ID cards has him as a hockey player. Yeah, so a I hockey figured there player. had to be a bunch of deleted scenes. And there was one scene where he was actually pitching for the Dodgers and Tommy Lasorda comes out to the mound and pulls him from the game. So then later when he sees the picture of Tommy Lasorda, he's like, I hate Tommy Lasorda and punches. It was supposed to be another joke. Oh, right. It has some context. Yeah. Okay. But you know, it just didn't, you know, whatever they left it in. Right. Cause it was you know, an important part of the scene or it was, you, you couldn't have edited that. It would out, have been right? hard to cut around yeah. that. Yeah. 
So another scene I liked was when he goes to the airport hangar and he's G. Gordon Liddy is the character he says he is. Oh, ball bearings? Yeah. This, yeah, that scene was pretty funny. I think it basically every scene he's in, another thing about this movie, Chase, you know, he's either make, making wisecracks or he's dressed up as a character or just using these preposterous names of like famous people, you know, or maybe even all three things at once. But the thing is, nobody reacts to it. Like nobody ever calls him on the fact that he's like Ted Nugent or G. Gord Liddy. The only Babar. time, yeah, the only, <laughs> Babar, that's it, two Bs, you know. No, yeah. no, they well, right and I mean, in the sequel, he says his name is Ed Harley of Harley Davidson's motorcycle. So it's this, yeah, one of the, well, I mean, one of the things, and this is, this is true in real life and in film, if you have confidence and act like you're supposed to be somewhere, most people won't question it. And Chevy Chase, as a performer and his character in this movie, certainly have that confidence. And I think that's why it works so often. And that's why people believe it, because that works in real life. If you're supposed to if you're not supposed to be somewhere, but you are confident and act like you're supposed to be there, most people won't question it. And I think that that is a big key to why so many of these scenes work, where he comes in and has this outrageously false name. I'm Vito Corleone or, you know, like he has these these crazy names that are clearly made up, but he sells it with authority and he he leans into I am supposed to be here for this reason regardless of how outrageous the reason may be and people don't immediately question it and nine times out of ten he gets what he wants the only time that he uses a famous name and anyone even comes close to calling him on it was when he tells Stan Wick's dad when he's in Utah that his name's Harry S. Truman because remember the dad was like oh and he's like oh yeah my my parents were you know fans of the, the former president you know but other than that no like everyone else just goes along with these you know crazy names but um, but like I don't know like part of it's what makes it all kind of work too. But uh, but anyway, like just going back to the the scene in the airline hangar, like you mentioned, it's all it's it's all ball bearings now. And then he, he, he goes, hey, can you check out the seventh Fesser valve? And he looks under the hood, you know. Yeah. The guy's like, oh, Gordo, it's down here. I'm like, just checking out the luggage. Just, just again, just nonstop, you know. But then he makes but, a comment about the windshield or something. Again, it's it's that confidence of he's made a mistake. He could be uh, exposed as a fraud in any second, and he deflects by pointing out, like, you know, again, he 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 displays that confidence by by drawing attention to something else to to take it away from this subterfuge that he's trying to to pass off, and this this happens, you know, multiple times throughout the movie, and 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 it, I think that's part of what makes it work is is that he's able to do this over and over and over again. And in many cases, it's humorous, uh, and and that's part of what makes it interesting for us as the audience is that it's so over the top, yet the characters in the scene don't call out his BS. What I think might be one of the best scenes in the movie is when he goes back to the country club, and as you mentioned, he orders all that expensive food, you know, the, the caviar and everything, and the and the wine, and he just adds all these tips, you know, in, and he charges it all to the Underhills, and then he goes into Gail's cabana, and she's like, you know the Underhills? He's like, oh yeah, I, I saved his life in the war. She's like, you're in the war? No, 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 I got him out of it. And that whole scene with him and Gail and Underhill's like banging on the door, you know? And um, I, I just think that whole scene is just great because it, it's really there where he, him and her, the characters, they, they, they start to kind of connect. And that's when he says I, he wants to take her to a Lakers game. And then he realizes that he fits into Stanwick's clothes, which comes up later in the movie. I just, I think that whole scene was really, really good. I really liked that. Yeah. Um, and then he follows Stanwick and finds out he's connected to the chief. And he goes back to his apartment and the cops are there waiting for him. So he's got to make a run for it. And this might be the second best scene in the movie when he gets into the sports car with the kid who's stealing the car. 
and, and oh yeah, I forgot about that. Even though it's a car chase scene, that scene has nothing to do with the car chase. That scene is all about him and the kid. It's just their interaction that they have just pops off the screen, you know. And then he crashes into an alley and he goes into the kitchen of this like busy restaurant, and then it's like a banquet hall and there's this big appreciation dinner going on for Fred Dorfman and Fred the Dorf Dorfman. Well, then the thing is like, like I, you, you weren't here when Yancey and I did the animal house review, but animal house is one of my favorite movies of all time. And one of the characters in it flounder, his real name in the movie is Kent Dorfman. And his right. brother was Fred Dorfman. He was a legacy, you know? So it's just another, it's, it's an homage to animal house. Uh, okay. You know, just a little, little tip of the cap there. But um, I love when the cops come in and then Chevy has to work the room so that everyone like hugs the cops so he can escape. Yeah. That whole scene when he's working that room. That's got to be improv. That's 100%, 100%. pure Chevy Chase right yeah. there at his very best. Oh, for sure. And like, I mean, it, again, totally improvised. He's using his wits and his charm and his ingenuity, you know, just to, it, to me, that's what the Chevy Chase persona was all about, at least in the 80s. You know, um, like, we, like we said before, Chevy Chase was much different in the 70s than he was from the 80s and then in the 90s. You know, in the 70s, he was just a pratfall artist. Um, in the 80s, he was a wisecracking guy. In the 90s, his career died, right? But um, he, he he was also in the 90s, if you remember, he was on a talk show. They gave him his own talk show, the Chevy Chase show. And yeah. this is something that he should have been really, really good at, you would think. Well, it was I- a failure. I got to think that he, again, I don't know, but my guess would be that he wanted to be the star and he didn't want to let the guests have the screen time that you need to give a guest when they're on your show. That that would be my guess for why it didn't work. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I mean, it only lasted like a month. You know, it got canceled and then his career died. But um, the, the scene at the airport I thought was interesting too. He goes there, he poses a Stanwick and he goes to confirm the flights. That's when he finds out Tim Matheson's already... You know, uh, you know, he's already like confirmed the tickets, yeah. and he's and he's going to go on this flight with uh, you know Sally Ann Kavanaugh and stuff. Back in the eighties, you could ask for pretty much any kind of personal information and just get it. And it's more yeah. than just what you said about just being confident that you can be all confident that you want in, in the moment, but you just can't get information without like you know showing ID or like nowadays you have to show like a thumbprint or a DNA sample or something. Back then you could just ask anyone for anything and they just tell you. They just give you the information. You know, we saw that when we did uh, War Games too. I remember there was a scene there where Matthew Broderick's character, he just calls up the operator. Well, I'm looking for this guy. Oh yeah, here's his address. (laughs) It's like what they just give it out, you know? Um, Again, that's part of what, uh, it it dates the movie. Again, not in a bad way dates the movie, but reminds you that this movie takes place in a different time. I mean, the fact that they don't have cell phones is usually your biggest giveaway that the movie's at least 20 years old. And the score certainly indicates that it's from the 80s. But uh, yeah, this this idea of nobody having any concerns about privacy of information um, really is a staple of older movies. And and I think like in the 90s and early 2000s, that's when you start to see the rise of the Internet, the rise of technology, the rise of uh, you know telecommunications and this idea that your identity and your personal information has value and is should be kept secret. And yeah. So then uh, he finds out that, uh, like, the tickets were booked. You know, Stan McCarty booked them, as we mentioned. So he goes to this Sally Ann Kavanaugh's house, and, of course, he's smoking. So I'm like, oh, again with the smoking. 
He was always smoking in these Gen X movies. And then that slow-witted guy with the rifle, you know, shows up. And then Chevy Chase tries to run away, and the guy just opens fire in the street. You know, like, jeez. I guess it's the U.S., so anything can happen. And then I thought it was interesting. He goes back to um, Dana Wheeler Nicholson's character and shows her the picture. And, and basically that her husband's a bigamist, right? Yeah. And she looks at the picture of the, of the other wife, and she goes, look at her. She looks like a tramp. Could you love someone that looks like this? And he's like, five, ten minutes tops. <laughs> like, he just yeah. constantly, like, with the, the one-liners, right? And then I also, I also laughed when he gets Fat Sam and Gummy to the newspaper so they can give their statements. And then they, they go into Richard, Richard Libertini's office and they just start stealing stuff. <laughs> and they're putting it in their pockets and everything. I just laughed at that. Um, and then, of course, the big finale when he goes to um, Stanwick's house. And Stanwick is supposed to be waiting for him so Fletch can kill him. And Stanwick's dressed in the Lakers jersey. So he's dressed up as Fletch, right? So Yeah, which, can, I he, mean, by now, if you haven't sort of figured yeah, out where this is going... You know what's happening. It's going to be a switcheroo, right? He's going to he's gonna kill Fletch or, and leave the body because their body types are similar, which, I mean, Fletch reveals in a very humorous way where he says, your wife pointed that out to me after... Well, he shows, up in, a, he shows up in his <laughs> suit, right? He, yeah. He, just a punctuated. Shows up wearing his suit, right? Yeah. Yeah, because he says, you know, it's something your wife mentioned me in bed. I like because he says... Uh, we basically have the same bone structure from the waist up, I presume. <laughs> Again, <laughs> that's even when he's faced with death, you know, he just yeah. keeps making the wisecracks. And then, and then the chief walks in and he goes, oh, thank God, the police. <laughs> like, he's just constantly like these these sarcastic comments. And then, of course, you know, the, the scene plays out, you know, the, the chief shoots Stanwick and they knock him out and everything. It's all good. And then the, fin- the final scene, I just want to mention, when Fletch and Gale are walking down the beach in Rio. And of course, he says, I charge the entire vacation to the Underhills visa. You want the number? You know, what a great line to end the movie on. But I just wanted to mention about the final scene. So they, when they were making the movie, they wanted to go down to Rio to shoot that scene, right? But the studio said, there's no way. You're not doing that. It costs too much money. So the director made a deal with the studio. So he says, if I bring the movie in under budget, then you have to let me fly down to Rio and shoot the final scene. So they say, okay, that's fine. We agree with that. So he brought the movie in under budget. So they flew like five of them down there. It's probably like her and, and, and Fletch and the director and maybe the, the director of photography or the cast member, I don't know, whatever. And they got to bring their spouses down. And the script actually called for them to be sitting on lounge chairs on the beach with people all around them, right, when they give their lines. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, they get to Rio and it's raining. Oh, geez. so they couldn't shoot. And then day two, raining. Day three, day four, day five. It rained the whole time. And it's not like the cast could just like go out and enjoy Rio because they had to stay in their rooms because if the rain suddenly let up, they have to quick get out and shoot the scene, right? And after six days go by, the studio is like, hey, what's going on? Where's the dailies? Like, where's your production reports? What the hell's going on? And they had nothing. They, they hadn't shot anything. So the studio says, that's it. You got to come home. So the director had Dana Wheeler Nicholson and Chevy Chase just go out on the beach and shoot the scene. And it's really, really hard to tell in the final cut. But it's actually raining in that scene. And if the sky is really dark. There's huge surf in the ocean. And there's not a single solitary person on the beach. So you think about after five days of solid rain, the beach in Rio, it's just, it's like a ghost town, right? 
And the thing is, if you go back and watch that final scene, like I, I, I would suggest just go back. You can probably find it on YouTube, just the final scene. Go back and just watch the final scene. You'll notice the sky is dark, the surf, there's no one there. But the thing is, it just works, you know? But it's just something that you, you would look at that scene a little bit differently if you see it again. So I'll keep my eye open for it if yeah. I catch it again. Anyway, just something I just want to mention about the final scene. So uh, overall, uh, we had a chance to go back and watch it. Do you have a rating out of 10 you want to give this movie? Um, it was decent. Uh, I mean, the things that I didn't like about it were were largely because of my own personal bias like against Chevy Chase. I mean, like I said, I, he's not my favorite performer in the world, but I can certainly appreciate the talent he displays in this movie. So... I think I'd probably give this about a seven. Like, I think it's decent. Uh, I think that it, it holds up as an eighties movie. If you look at it through the eighties lens, it's not nearly as problematic as say something like revenge of the nerds. Although there are a handful of things that, Mm -hmm. that, you know, cause you to sort of raise your eyebrow and go, "Eh, maybe not. Um, no, I think it's good. I think, I think if people are, are looking for, um, you know, a, 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 detective mystery slash comedy. I mean, Chevy Chase, the comedy parts are quite funny. So yeah, I think seven, seven's fair. I think it's got a little bit of everything. I'm kind of with you. I maybe go seven and a half to eight. It's like I mentioned, it's just, it's got comedy in it. It's got intrigue, mystery. It's got a lot going on. And I think it's uh, an important movie from the eighties. Like I say, from when Chevy Chase was kind of at his peak. So yeah, I give it seven and a half, eight, lean toward eight, I think. So um, I know one of the things that we've talked about on this podcast many times, in mm-hmm. fact, we've even done some episodes about it, is the idea of remaking old films. Oh, God. And so I know that uh, Fletch is a property that has been discussed on multiple occasions by various studios about rebooting it. For a while there in the 90s, there was talk of rebooting it, and uh, writer-director Kevin Smith was was asked to take a stab at the Fletch franchise and again, he drew from the original novels and they had originally had Jason Lee, who was the star of the show. My name is Earl. He was Fletch. just in that movie that I had to watch it, the trailer with my son. He was in um, that Alvin and the Chipmunks movie. The only reason yes. they asked him, they would get him to do this because he looks like Chevy Chase. That's it. Possibly. Yeah. And again, uh, I, I think that he could play that wisecracking guy because he had played that kind of role in Kevin Smith's movies previously. And he had that relationship with Kevin Smith. So if he was a writer director, often writer writers and directors will want to work with the same people. So that was in the mid to mid to late 90s. That was being floated around for a while and then it didn't come together. And then I read recently that um, there it is being brought up again as being rebooted. And there's talk of having John Hamm play Fletch. Again, it's a lot of rumors. It doesn't sound like it's 100%, but the rumors are coming from some very legitimate sources. So we may see a new rebooted Fletch franchise starring John Hamm in the Chevy Chase role. So uh, again, uh, there's it's based on a series of books, so there's a lot of source material to draw from. Whether or not they set the movie in the here and now or whether they set it in the 80s or even I mean the books obviously were written before the 80s if they set it back earlier whenever the books are set um, it, it'll it would have a certainly a different tone to it I mean I love John Hamm he's usually pretty good in most things he does so I gotta hope that if he if this does happen and he does sign on it'll bring a certain level of quality to the project but I know you you obviously don't like the idea of reboots so no. We'll we'll see if as if I as I always we we can talk about it more then once we have had a yeah. chance to see it 
as I always say, I just wish Hollywood would just be, you know, a little bit more original. How about just come up with something original? This movie is what it is. You know, if you want to watch Fletch, go back and watch Fletch from 85. You don't have to remake it. Yeah, that's it, fair. You know? But anyway, on that note, let's have some fun with Caveman. All right, man. Well, since it was my movie this week and I nominated Fletch, obviously, it's over to you to handle the trivia. So what do you got for me? Put me through my paces. All right. We're going to do something a little different this week. Oh, I, I like to try I like and change it up a little bit. I like a little okay. different. Are you familiar with the game Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon? Uh, yes. This is like actors that are connected together, right? Yeah. So it's like, you know, you would throw out a name and you would say like, uh, connect Harrison Ford to Kevin Bacon. And then you would go through a list of movies where you're like, well, Harrison Ford was in a movie with this guy who was then in a movie with this girl who was then in a movie with Kevin Bacon. And that was three degrees of Kevin Bacon. Cause you were, you were stepping through. Right. So we don't want to go that complicated, but we want to lean on that idea. So I want to do one degree of Chevy chase. Okay. The Canadian version. Oh, so, nice. So I'm going to give you the name of a Canadian performer. And I want you to tell me if they've ever started a movie with Chevy chase. Okay, and they're and they're they're definitely Canadian, right? Yes, and it has to be a movie, so it can't be like Saturday Night Live 40th anniversary special because then everybody's a yes. Uh, it has to be a movie, not television, not a talk show, not a documentary either. Because in some cases they do like there was like the the retrospective history of the Monty Python's Flying Circus, and they interviewed every comedian you could ever think of. So I'm I'm talking a scripted movie. And I'll give you the name of a Canadian, and you tell me yes or no if they were in the movie. And for bonus points, if you can name the movie, great. All right. All right? I'll I got a, a fairly comprehensive list here, so we'll we'll fire through them. You, let's see how you do. Ready? All right. I'll do my best. All right. First one, Andrea Martin. Andrea Martin. Did she ever work with Chevy Chase? I will say that she did not. She didn't do No, she never really did a lot of uh, movies, so I'll say no. That's correct. She did not. Yeah. Uh, you'll notice many of these names are people who made their bones in uh, SCTV. Right. Uh, but again, SCTV being television doesn't count as the connection. They have to have been in a movie with them. All okay. right. Next one. Catherine O'Hara just won an Emmy this weekend. She ever star in a movie with Chevy Chase? Mm, was she in Follow That Bird with him? She was not. Uh, then I will say that she did not. She did. She was in the movie Orange County with Chevy Chase. Oh, so when, when did that part. come out? Was that more 2002. Well, nah, that's, that's past my time. I didn't know. All right. Okay, go for it. Christopher Plummer. Oh, Christopher Plummer. Um, I would figure that you're putting him in there because he did. So I will say that he did work with him. Yes. No, he did not. Okay. Oh, I should have went with my instinct. I, was, I, 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 I actually thought, was, I thought he never worked with him, but I thought, oh, you're putting him in there because he did. Yeah. So well, and I so Chevy Chase worked with Jack Palance, and I thought in your brain you might have switched Jack Palance with Christopher Plummer. So, all right, right over the plate for you, nice easy one, Dan Aykroyd. Oh yeah, of course they worked together. How many times? Uh, well, they definitely worked in the movies. Oh well, they definitely worked together in Spies Like Us, and then there was. Nothing but trouble. Were they in that together? Yes, they were. No, I think that was it. I will say they were in four movies together. Oh, they both the appeared ones? in Caddyshack Two. Oh God! Okay. And I, that, in the same year, The Couch Trip. 
Oh, The Couch Trip. That's right. That's so stupid yeah. little movie. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Chevy Chase has uh, 98 acting credits. He was in a wow. lot of stuff simply for a wow. paycheck. I wouldn't think it'd be like that. Yeah. Oh, That's why I was able to get enough to do this to make this work. Okay. Wow. Next uh, Canadian, Dave Thomas. Dave Thomas ever work with him? Uh, Dave Th- Dave Thomas always shows up in like l- little tiny roles here and there, but I'll say no, he never did. Uh, you would be wrong because he appeared in two movies with Chevy Chase. He appeared in Spies Like Us and uh, aforementioned Follow That Bird. Yeah, but his role in Spies Like Us was, it was like not even credit. What, what the hell did he play in Spies Like Us? Anyway. I don't know. I'll have to look into that. Punched it into the search engine and it said, yes, these two have performed in this movie together. Oh, go for it. All right. Uh, Eugene Levy. Um, Another Emmy winner from this past weekend. Yes, I would say Eugene Levy has never worked with him. Well, then you would forget the opening scene of National Lampoon's Vacation where they buy a new car. Oh, right. He buys. He's the used car, used car salesman. Used car salesman. Oh, man. This is a good trivia, then. What All right. This one's a little bit of a trick. All right. Harold Ramis as a performer, not the director. Right. As a performer, not a director. Um, I would say that he did not. You'd be wrong. Again, Orange County had a lot uh, of Canadian content Orange in County. it. I don't even know uh, what the hell Orange County is. Yeah. So, uh, But as a director, they, he directed Caddyshack and uh, Vacation, both of which uh, were Chevy Chase, obviously. We knew right. that. Right. All right. Uh, the next Canadian on our list, mm-hmm. Jim Carrey. Ooh, that's a little bit newer out of my wheelhouse. But I would say no, they did not work together. You'd be correct. They've never yeah. worked together. All right. Joe Flaherty. Oh, wow. Joe Flaherty is another guy that always played like little tiny, tiny parts. I'm going to say that Joe Flaherty showed up in a vacation movie at some point. And, and the thing is, I've only ever seen the first two vacation movies, like in their entirety. I didn't really like the other ones from what I saw. But I'll say that he showed up in one of those at some point. So they did work together, not in any of the vacation movies. Oh, okay. What they work uh, together? They were in a movie called Tunnel Vision from 1976. Oh, and, my God. Yes. And again, Follow That Bird, which so, apparently had every Canadian performer in it. So Tunnel Vision, I remember it. That was almost like um, Kentucky Fried Movie, but it was all about TV shows. Oh, I remember that. Oh, really? Oh, I yeah. may have to go and look up then. Oh, all man, right. I remember that. All right. The late, great John Candy. John Candy and him. I don't think that they ever worked together that I can think of. So were they in Follow That Bird together? They were in Follow yes. That Bird together. Oh, they did work together. Okay. Nice. They worked together in four movies. What also, else did they work Tunnel Vision, which we just talked about. Follow That Bird, oh, right, which right. you got correct. Mm-hmm. Nothing But Trouble from 1991. All right. And... When they went to Wally World in vacation, he oh, rode the rides with them. How the hell could I forget that? Cheapers, yep. creepers. Nice. Uh, all right. Good Kim one. Cattrall. Did Kim Cattrall ever work with Chevy Chase? Uh, I would say no, she did not. You would be correct. Yeah. How about the late, great Margot Kidder? Lois Lane from the Superman franchise. Oh, Margot Kidder. Margot Kidder did more of her stuff like in the 70s. So it would have to be something from a long time ago. No, I'd say they never worked together. They never worked together. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. All right. How about Martin Short? 
Uh, yeah, they were in uh, Three Amigos. The Three Amigos. Yes, yes. Yep, you got it. All right. How about Michael J. Fox? Michael J. No. No, they never worked together. How about another famous Mike? Mike Myers. Mm, No, they never worked together. No, they never worked together. That's correct. All right. How about Rick Moranis? Rick Moranis and Chevy Chase. No. No, they didn't. They did. They were in L.A. Story. I oh. believe Chevy Chase had a fairly small part in that one. Oh, man. I didn't even know he was in that movie. Okay. Right. Uh, Seth Rogen. I would say no. That's newer, but I'll say no. You would be correct. And uh, how about Tommy Chong of Cheech and Chong fame? Oh, that's a good one. Um, Tommy Chong did more of his stuff again in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, I will say no. They never worked together. No, they did not ever work together. Yeah. Okay, and last, yep. not a Canadian, but the theme for this mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. He ever worked with Kevin Bacon? I uh, know he never worked with Kevin Bacon. No, he never worked no. with Kevin Bacon. <laughs> All right, there you Good go. Good question, though, Ned. One, two, three, four, five, six. You only missed six out of the, I think I got 18 or 19 on this list. Yeah, there was yeah, a so lot on there. Holy smokes. Yeah, well, I, I basically pulled the SCTV catalog, and I was like, okay, here are the top eight or ten performers, and then I was like, okay, let's find some other Canadians. So, yeah, no, you did well. That I was mean, tougher than you think, but, uh, because, you um, because, because a lot of them, like 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 people like Joe Flaherty and people like, like they always had really tiny little parts, you know, in movies. So they would just show up in, in a scene like Joe Flaherty shows up in stripes and things like that, but really mm-hmm. small parts that you almost kind of forget about. So it was kind of tough. Yeah. That was a good trivia. Yeah. That was hard. Well, and I know you know your Canadian content. So although mm-hmm. some of the listeners may be like, I don't know who half those freaking people <laughs> right. were. I knew you'd at least know who the performers were. I knew you may not know who if they worked with Chevy Chase, but... I mean, Chevy's been in almost 100 different things. He's worked with a lot That really surprised me when you mentioned that. I thought it would be way less than that. So go figure. So anyway, uh, next week it's over to you to nominate a movie. So what do you have for us? So uh, for some reason, I, I was in this mood this week where when I was trying to figure out what movie I wanted you to watch, mm-hmm. something in my brain said, we need to do an epic, a fantastic, epic, sure. giant, long, huge, epic kind of movie. And so... My initial instinct was Godfather, but I thought, nah, nah, let's not do Godfather. So I ended up going with something a little newer. Yeah, because I mean, you usually nominate the newer stuff, not the I old do. stuff. I and, do, and I'm pretty sure you've seen this, and I always say I like to try and get a movie you've never seen before, but sure. I, for some reason, I just, I have it in my mind. I want to do a big epic for our next show. Okay. And so I'm choosing from 2001, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, the first part. Have you seen it? Wow. So I actually went to the movie theater to see that movie. Well, everybody did. The movie was a huge success. I remember that it was so long that there was actually an intermission in it. I seem to recall that as well, but I, I'm not 100% certain. Oh, I think this is a, this is actually a really good one to watch because I could probably watch this one with my with my son, at least my oldest well, son. He'll definitely watch it with that's me. That's what I was thinking as well. Is I, I knew your kids were sort of getting to that age where this might be appropriate. I mean, there's obviously violence, but 
I, I mean, they're probably desensitized to that. They play video games. Uh, and, so, I, and I read the books. I mean, I read I read this book when I was, you know, relatively young. I was probably like 12 or 13, I think, when I read this book. And I really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, so this is it. And then I watched the one from the 70s, like 78, I think it was. With the rotoscoping and like the animation was all crappy and stupid. But um, yeah, this is. This is a that's a pretty good pick. I gotta okay. give you that. It's a pretty good pick. Okay. I think Have you wh- seen it since two thousand one? No. You saw it in the theater. Is nope. that the only time you saw it in the movie theater? I've never seen it again since. Okay, so it's been almost twenty years. Then the yep. movie came out in two thousand and one. Now years. I will tell you they they had the original theatrical cut, and then when they uh, later released these on on DVD and Blu Ray, there was extended director's editions where they they added all these extra scenes and stuff. So. There's one of the versions, again, I'm sort of looking at the IMDb to get a sense of it. Uh, the one version that I'm looking at here, it says it runs almost three hours, which I got to think that's the extended version. But um, Well, like I, I say, I, the original, I, I remember when I saw it in the theater, there was an intermission, so it could be three hours long. Yeah, so I think if you could find either version, you'll be good. I think the, like, I know I've seen this one enough. I haven't seen it a lot, but I, I again, this is right in my wheelhouse being a Dungeons and Dragons guy. I, I know which scenes are sort of the extra scenes and, and, and where they play in, so... When we discuss the movie next week, we can determine whether you've watched the original theatrical cut or whether you ended up seeing the director's extended cut. Right. Um, if you have the choice, if you have the option between the two, I would say go with the longer one, uh, even though it's already long. Mm-hmm. I think that we, you know, it's sort of been accepted now that, uh, it, you know, looking back, the the longer versions should have been the ones that were released. It's not like some scenes where it's like, oh, this scene doesn't add value. There, it's a lot of work and effort and thought went into them. So. Do what you can. We'll come back next week. We'll talk about Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, the first part of the original Lord of the Rings trilogy by Peter Jackson from 2001. I have to say, I think that's a great pick. I think that's going to be a good pick for next week. I really do. There should, you go. We should have lots to talk about for that one. That's for sure. Well, let, let's make let's not make it an epic length podcast, right. but let's. This let's one was long enough. Episode. So yeah, one of our longest ones we've ever done. Uh, so anyway, on that note, we'll wrap things up. Uh, if you want to reach out to to us on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM, that's Derek. At C McBrien is me, and popgoesyourworld.com is our website with all of our contact information. Until next week, this is Chris McBrien for Derek Myers saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.